The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good evening and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, broadcasting from the Cromer Mashburn Family Studios at Public Radio, WMKV 89.3 in Reading and WLHS 89.9 in Westchester, Ohio. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and Real Life Real Estate is here to be your public radio source for information and inspiration to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And one of the ways that we do that is roughly 12 times a year on the last Wednesday of each month. We throw the mics open for questions and answers because, you know, the other, I don't know, 40 weeks of the year, we've got guest experts who have their little area that they're passionate about that's made them a lot of money that they're experts in that they've studied really hard and I just picture picture all you folks out there in radio land sitting there thinking yeah but I've got this really specific question and they don't seem to be talking about that this week so I'm afraid to ask it so once a month we do the question and answer thing and that is today so whatever questions you have whether you think they're silly beginner questions or or too specific or whatever just ask them anyway you can do that by calling 877-772-9658 or by going to our website at realliferealestate.com there's a little button on the top of that site that says uh, actually I guess they call it a uh, um, you know, a tab at the top of the page. I'm not, I'm not technical. I'm not technical like that. She's saying to the guy who gets out a book to look up, who sang a particular song. Hey, I'm with you. I would still have a yellow pages on my desk if they would uh, keep delivering it to me. Uh, a tab at the top of the page that says, uh, ask a question. And when you click that tab it opens up a form and you type in your question and you hit send and it comes here to real life real estate you can use that tab by the way 24 7 365 because i do save up questions for this show at the end of each month as well because uh, they do tend to come in at you know inconvenient times so i'm gonna go back and answer some of those questions that we have been getting uh, through the Real Life Real Estate page over the course of the last month or so. Starting with Daniel in Clarkston, Michigan, who says, can you recommend a resource that one might go to find a good example 
of a business plan for RE investing. I have a long business background in the corporate world, develop business plans for business divisions, but have no idea what a plan for real estate should look like. And golly, Dan, that is a real kind of ongoing issue with folks in real estate who want to create a business plan because as you well know, most of the business plan templates templates that you can download on the internet are for either brick and mortar businesses or for um, you know like online business types of things where you're info marketing and neither of them really applies in a real estate situation where you have to both market for your inventory and market for your customers for that inventory. So I, I totally feel your pain. Um, I did find one online by Googling it one time and I paid $29 to download it or something. And it turned out to be a very specific kind of um, uh, rental business as opposed to I'm going to do rentals and I'm going to do other stuff too. So unfortunately, the only way I know to help you is to have you go to realliferealestate.com and up in the left-hand corner, there's a button and it says, join the inner circle for a dollar, which is no longer correct because of the, uh, the way the credit card company doesn't want to handle a $1 charge. I think it's now $5 to join the inner circle program. And one of the benefits that you get from that is uh, you get a business plan template emailed to you. Now, it is $39 a month to continue with that program after the first month. And all that money goes to WMKV, which is why I'm able to even say that. And uh, you can quit anytime. But the one of the first things that you get is a business plan template. And uh, somebody should needs to remind me to change that thing on my site so it doesn't say one dollar anymore because bob told me months ago that we needed to change that so uh good for you for wanting to create a business plan uh daniel but um they're just there's a there's a, a dearth of that sort of thing out in the market as you have already discovered and uh i don't really know how to solve it other than kind of give you what I just gave you. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Um, a question from Romero from New York that is an entire page long. So let me let me process this one thing at a time. It is a question about wholesaling. And the question is, to understand our three primary target buyers, which are fix and flipper, buy and hold, and retail buyer, which he's defining as in-buyer or homeowner, which one of these do we focus on to make the most profit in today's market so that we can decide our target area? Well, uh, number one thing I'm going to say is not the retail buyer. Uh, wholesalers don't sell to retail buyers for a variety of reasons, starting with the properties that we're able to get under contract at really spectacular prices are usually way too rough for a retail buyer, for an, for an end buyer who's going to live there. 
And even if we happen to run across one that is, you know, maybe ugly but livable that we can still get at a really good price, uh, the, the retail buyers typically have to go get financing to buy properties. And it is very difficult for uh, both in terms of time frames and in terms of uh, certainty that the loan's going to happen at all and in terms of the complexity of trying to either assign a contract to someone who's then going to get a loan or closing the property and then waiting the requisite amount of time to resell it to sell to that kind of buyer. I mean, wholesalers just, wholesalers, wholesaling is a business to business transaction. It's you selling to an investor. So that leaves us with retail retailer buyers, people are going to buy, fix and sell and rental buyers. And the question was, which should we focus on? And my answer is, why would you focus on one or the other? You focus on finding great deals. And then you look at the deals themselves and they tell you whether the buyer is going to be a retailer or a landlord because the deal will either be in a rental type area or a retail type area. So the the deal will tell you. Now, I understand your question about uh, on what areas do we focus? In other words, if I'm, if I for some reason only wanted to wholesale to retailers, I would want to focus my marketing on retail type areas and vice versa, rental type areas for landlords. But it has not been my experience that if you want to do lots of wholesale deals, that you should really be that picky about what areas you are marketing to. You're looking for deals. You're not looking for areas. You're not looking for deals for a particular buyer. You're looking for deals that are, that are, that are good deals, that are profitable deals for someone. And generally, if you focus on a particular area, you're really limiting the amount of potential motivated sellers you're getting into contact with. So uh, I just would not do that personally. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. So if you have a question, you can go to our website at realliferealestate.com and send it in. Or alternatively, you can give us a call at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Uh, It's... uh, always a good time to ask questions, but today is in a particularly good time at 772-9658-77-772-9658 is the number to call. Or you can send an email uh, by going to realliferealestate.com or apparently I just discovered you can also send a tweet. I just got two tweets forwarded to me that with questions on them. Oh, I know how that happened. I posted on the Facebook page. Facebook page is attached to the Twitter, and they saw the Twitter, and they just, okay. See? All this technological stuff. (laughs) We don't have to understand it. We just have to live in its world, I guess. Um, Okay, so question from Dustin, who says, what type of real estate do you invest in? Also, where do you invest? Well, Dustin, I am a big believer 
in investing in one's own backyard wherever that happens to be. And my backyard happens to be the greater Cincinnati tri-state area. Uh, I do not, although I am constantly offered investments in other parts of the United States, I uh, turn those investments down because I want to be able to put my hands on, look at, evaluate, understand the market, etc., where I invest. I have a few investments in other major cities in Ohio, but uh, I took some time to learn those markets first. And uh, I'm not even saying, don't hear me to say that I think Cincinnati is the best place in the world to invest. I, I, well, I do, but that's just because, you know, that's where my investments are. I don't care where you are. That is probably the best place for you to invest with some, with some distinct, um, differences. Uh, I'm going to, I'm 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 in fact going to have to say that that is not true in every single solitary market. It is, um, there's some markets where it's, there are certain kinds of investments that are just impossible to make money on. Um, there's areas where rentals are so expensive that the cash flow just, even if you pay cash for it, the return on the investment is so low, it would be silly to make that investment. Uh, but those are your fringe markets, you know, Southern California, parts of Southern Florida, places like that. Uh, and and those folks, I usually would say, get a really good partner on the ground and go invest somewhere in the Midwest where your money will go a lot further and your return on investment will be a lot higher. Uh, now, one of the reasons that I'm sort of stuck on my area is because the type of property I invest in is primarily single family homes. If I was doing apartment buildings, I wouldn't care where they were because you kind of evaluate apartment buildings by their income, no matter where they are. And then you hire professional management to manage them and the building can afford that from day one. If I were investing in notes and mortgages, uh, I would probably care a lot less about where my notes and mortgages were, but with single family homes, I think sticking close to home is the best thing if it's at all possible. Another question from Twitter from Woodrow, who says, how do I get a small dollar hard money loan to flip a free and clear 3-2 property that I already own? And then he tried to give me the evaluation in the 180 characters or whatever that Twitter gives you so there's a lot of abbreviations here um bottom line is woodrow if you're if your numbers here are right if it is in fact worth ninety thousand dollars fixed up and you're only looking to borrow thirty thousand dollars and it is uh free and clear right now so this would be a first mortgage you should not have any problems at all getting that small dollar hard money loan there are there are tons of people who would love to make that investment if the numbers are as you say they are. Uh, Your problem thus far has probably been that you've been calling the institutional hard money lenders and they have said we don't invest in or we don't we don't make loans on properties that are going to end up being rentals or something of something of that nature. They didn't like the the small dollars of it perhaps but there's a zillion individuals that I am sure would love to make that loan to you. Again, assuming that the numbers you have given me here are correct. Um, you got to network your way into those loans, but I'm telling you, if you 
if you ask 20 people at a Cincinnati RIA meeting or at the OREA summit that's coming up next week where there are going to be 700 people to ask, uh, you will find that loan. That's, that's, you know, I'm looking at that loan and saying drool. You know, that sounds like a, like a, a great small dollar loan to me. And, you know, for everybody else, if you, if you are having trouble with the institutional lenders on a deal, uh, there are always individual private lenders and hard money lenders and partners and people like that, that have those amounts of money, 30, 20, $50,000 that if the deal is a good one, they will do. Now don't get frustrated if you think that the deal's a great deal at that price and then a couple of people who know what they're talking about come out and say, well, the problem is the house is not worth 90 fixed up. It's only worth 60 fixed up and it doesn't need $30,000 worth of work. It needs $40,000 worth of work. And if you borrow 30 from me, you're going to run out of money before you're finished. And then I'm going to get back a property that's not finished. And if you borrow 40 from me, I'm in it for too much. You know, some, some, sometimes your, your best sign of whether or not you have a good deal is whether or not anyone wants to fund it. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week, 877-772-9658 or realliferealestate.com and click the ask a question tab and it will come here uh, like Tina's just did. And wow, this is a really big question and one that we maybe ought to do a whole show on. The question is, do condos make good rental investments? And the answer, Tina, is our favorite answer here on Real Life Real Estate, which is, it depends. I know you want me to definitively say yes or no, but the truth is, it depends. The challenge with condos, at least if you're talking about areas that are not resort-type areas where you are likely to be renting the thing out by the week or the month and seasonally, which is a whole different, we did do a show on that. (laughs) That's a whole different sort of area of expertise. If you're talking about something that what you're basically buying is an apartment and you're going to rent it year round to a resident, the challenge with condos is twofold. Number one, as a as a long-term appreciating asset, they don't tend to do as well as single-family homes or apartment buildings or or just about any other kind of rental real estate except mobile homes. Mobile homes are worse. They depreciate more. Uh, condos don't tend to go up in value over time. In fact, it is often the case that except with luxury-type condos that have a lot of amenities, doormen, elevators, swimming pools, health clubs, that sort of thing, the most they ever sell for is what they sell for on day one. And then after that, each sale is a little less and a little less and a little less and a little less. I bought a condo about a month ago that when the building first went condo, the units were selling for eighty or $90,000 a piece. And I bought this one for forty, and that wasn't hugely under market. Market right now is probably 50 for that same condo. Because someone's always building a newer, shinier one up the street. And this was not one of those buildings that had the pool and the doorman and the restaurant in the building and all of that sort of thing. The other challenge, so 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 in terms of like long term, am I going to sell the thing for more than I paid for it adjusted for inflation? The answer is eh, probably not. The 
thing, though, that would rescue that, that would make you not care that you're selling it for the same or maybe even a little bit less than what you paid for it 20 years from now, would be if it had really high cash flow. And so the other challenge with condos is that the association fee, what's called the HOA, the homeowners Homeowners association fee, often eats your cash flow up and it is out of your control. It, it, it gets voted upward and you as an individual condo holder can't, can't say, no, I'm not paying more than I agreed to pay when I first bought this unit. And, um, the, they, they don't seem to ever go down. They always go up. Now, if they include a bunch of stuff that would normally be your expenses as a landlord, that can mitigate it. Like I've seen condos where the HOA covered water, covered insurance, covered real estate taxes, covered all kinds of stuff that you would have paid separately. But I've also seen the ones that only cover the maintenance and landscaping and you still pay everything else. And yet you've got this condo fee that goes up and up and up. So you've really got to look at these things on a case-by-case basis. Other stuff that you have to look at really hard is what does the HOA agreement say? For instance, there are some that say you can't rent your condo. You better know that before you buy it, huh? And there are uh, homeowners associations that, you know, have, have strict limitations on things that you need to know about before you tell a tenant they can do them you know you've heard, you've heard all the stories about can't put a flag out things like that so just you know make sure you understand condos and make sure that you have really run your numbers and that they it's it's likely to have good cash flow for a long period of time and that you are in fact allowed to rent it and the other thing to check on is whether or not the homeowners association is solvent i've had a couple of situations where somebody tried to sell me a condo in a building that was basically the the whole association was bankrupt, which meant they could not make any repairs and they were not paying the bills that were supposed to be part of the HOA agreement. They weren't paying the water bill, for instance. And you don't want to buy into a situation like that without knowing that that's what you were buying into and having some plan about what to do if the whole thing goes under. So... Again, it depends. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. 877-772-9658 is the number to call. You can also send us an email by going to realliferealestate.com, clicking the Ask a Question button and sending us an email through there. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate You can send in your questions via email by going to our website at realliferealestate.com. You can also call in your questions at 877-772-9658. And you can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate on Facebook at facebook.com slash Radio, or by joining our email list at realliferealestate.com. Most weeks we have some sort of special gift or offers for listeners at realliferealestate.com. You'll get notified of those as they come up and of the show each and every week, along with an article by or about our guests or topics. 
and uh, just helps helps keep you in touch with what's going on in the real estate world. That's realliferealestate.com. All right, let's go back to the emails here. And it would help if I was actually in my email thing instead of... Okay. So a question from Rob. Buying foreclosures in my IRA. He says, I'm looking to buy foreclosure properties in the Charlotte, North Carolina area and put them in my Roth IRA as long-term rentals. When I go to the courthouse and upset a bid, they require a 5% deposit. Do I need to get this from my custodian? In other words, the IRA custodian. The court does not accept checks for upset bids. I c- can I buy it in my LLC and then assign it to my IRA once the bid is successful? No, 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 no. You cannot do that. <laughs> that's that's ha- having your IRA or your LLC effectively contract for the property and then assign it from this LLC that you own to your IRA is a prohibited transaction that, that will blow up your whole IRA if, if you do that. However, the solution here is probably, and you need to talk to your, you need to talk to your custodian because they have different rules about this, is to have an IRA-owned LLC, which is, I mean, I, I've, I've talked about that in the past as if it were an absolute do not do not do you know do not do a checkbook llc the exception is for cases like this where you need to have control of money in it for a bidding situation and there's a number of custodians a large number of them in fact that will allow you to have an ira owned llc that has money in it so that you can do things like bid on tax liens at a tax lien sale or own a rental property in the LLC that the IRA owns and then the LLC actually has the checking account and you can get a certified check and walk into the sheriff's office and do your upset bid. Uh, The only thing is that IRA owned LLC has to be set up extraordinarily carefully. This is not just some LLC that you're going to download from one of those free legal form online things it's it it has to be manager managed you can't be the manager there's all these rules uh that some educators seem to blow off they act like oh no it's no big deal just you know set it up any way you want nope not not if you don't want your ira disallowed and you don't want the government to take like half of your money away from you when they disallow it uh so you need to do some some real research with some serious educators and or custodians about what the IRA owned LLC needs to look like. Now, the other thing that you could do, of course, is if you know what your bid is going to be, you're going to go to the court, you're going to go to the courthouse and upset a bid. So you already know what the bid is going to be. You can simply ask for a certified check from your custodian made out to the appropriate department, the sheriff's department or whoever it needs to be for 5% or maybe a little bit more than 5%. You send them a direction of investment, say, this is what I'm doing. They will send you a check. And if, if you don't get the bid, you can send the check back. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to go cash it or anything. Uh, but no, do not, don't assign things from yourself or your LLC to your IRA but thank you for the question. 
You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investment Investing Question and Answer Week, 877-772-9658. Or you can send an email uh, by going to realliferealestate.com. Question from Ed in Richmond, Virginia. He says, I have a question regarding seller finance that had me wondering if there is a will, can there be a way? (laughs) That is... Is there a way to leverage other investors on seller finance deal or partnering or some sort of cash flow received for all parties involved? Thanks for your help in advance. Well, Ed, I wish you were a teeny bit more specific about the nature of the deal here that you were trying to put together. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that what you're saying is. Perhaps you have a seller and maybe the seller has a more expensive property or they've got one that is not highly leveraged. So it's a $200,000 property and the seller only owes $100,000 and you want to pay $160,000, but there's a $60,000 gap between the loan that you could take over and what the seller wants for the properties. And there's a couple of ways to handle that, of course. One would be have the seller carry the other $60,000. But I think what you're saying is if I absolutely had to get that $60,000 from someplace other than the seller, can I do that? And the answer is yes, you can. And in the scenario I just outlined where you're taking over in some way a $100,000 loan, but there's a $60,000 down payment that needs to be made, the way that that would happen would be that you would either get a private lender who would be in second position. Don't don't offer him a first mortgage because you're taking over a first mortgage. He would be in second position. Uh, or alternatively, get a partner to put in the sixty thousand dollars cash, and then the so so like you open up a new LLC. You and your partner are members of the LLC. The LLC uses the partner sixty thousand dollars cash to acquire and control the property and then from there on out you split the income in whatever way you have decided ahead of time most folks do 50 50 you could do 60 40 your favor 60 40 his favor something else but yes you can do exactly what you're talking about and um, it's not even all that difficult once you sort of understand how the the subject to or the land contract fits in with the partners investment and all of that sort of thing it's question and answer week on real life real estate investing the email box is filling up here with um all sorts of questions from listeners you can send your uh questions through realliferealestate.com i have a question here from vicky that says you shared during a recent Greater Dayton RIA meeting that it wasn't Zach, it was Matt, got excited about notes from what he heard in an ORIA conference that he purchased a course and studied it, has been doing well with it ever since. I was wondering if you might share whose material he has used that taught him all he needed to know to do what he does. Um, and Vicki, that is... Um, one of those things that's sort of a it's a good thing and a bad thing about public radio we don't advertise stuff and we don't promote stuff and you know this is actually a question i'm going to ask george later because what she asked me was not did i recommend it she said what course did someone else say was a good course at a different event and that's i'm not i'm not sure where that 
falls and things. But anyway, if you're coming to the convention, you will see Matt. You will see some folks who are um, doing notes and mortgages, and you can ask their opinion on different courses. But the, the point that I do want to make here is that Matt, like most real estate entrepreneurs of whatever stripe, note buyers, wholesalers, or whatever, has studied more than one person's take on notes and mortgages. He did talk about a specific person that uh, he, that, that was the first course he went to and he did, you know, get started with that person's materials. But uh, he, like most real estate entrepreneurs, uh, kind of absorbs everything he can about the topic that he is interested in. In fact, it's rare to see him without earplugs in because he's always listening to some webinar or you know podcast or something and uh i do i do recommend that as a as an approach to getting educated about a, a particular topic however at the same time i recommend that you not spend all of your time absorbing information because if you spend all of your time doing that that means that you are not also doing deals and the doing of the deals is what actually makes the money, not the learning. Uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate. It's question and answer week. We're going to take a quick break, after which we will go back to the emails that are coming in through realliferealestate.com and also take any questions that you might have by phone at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. If you happen to be listening to our question or question and answer week here on our podcast on iTunes or Real Life Real Estate, you should know that uh, we also are live on Wednesday afternoons from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. And you can listen live anytime at wmkvfm.org. If in reverse, you're listening to us on the radio and you're thinking, wow, I really wish I had a recording of this. Well, guess what? We have a podcast. It's at realliferealestate.com or on iTunes. A question here from uh, Tony in South Carolina. He says, I have a wholesaling question. What is your way of telling sellers that you are buying or selling their property at close? In other words, I am going to be selling their property to another investor and don't want to sound like I have to mislead the seller at the time at close. I am doing wholesale deals, but I'm getting so nervous every time I close because I'm waiting for someone to call me and ask who was that guy at the closing that paid for closing because it sure wasn't you. And why is the total sale price different than what we agreed on? I have had the, I, I ha, have had this happen. It has me on pins and needles. So how can I go get over this so I can really focus on building the business rather than worry about hiccups to the road, making me feel like quitting because of this negative vibe leading up to the close. Uh, I do not have the funds to close on a property. I'm still building savings to do this one day. Unfortunately, that is just not today. Um, Tony, that's, that's so interesting because you are having a problem that I never have and that um, most wholesalers who do contract assignments never have. And the reason they don't have it is because the price on the closing statement is exactly what the seller agreed to sell for when you assign your purchase contract. 
the only the only difference between what he maybe quote expected to see and what he sees at the closing is maybe your name's not on the closing statement maybe it's you know joe blow llc and i've never had anybody say to me who is joe blow llc because i think they just sort of assume that it must be another one of my companies or something or it must be some company that i'm related to and you know in in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wholesale deals i have had exactly one person at the closing question who the other person at the closing was because i was there and there was also you know a buyer there and that was a real estate agent who was representing the seller and um the question went this far they they said wait a minute who is oh and then and then the agent stopped the train of thought because they figured out who the other person was and that they didn't want to question it too hard because they were representing the seller and getting a commission from the seller for the sale and the price was exactly what they expected it to be and i don't think they i don't think the agent wanted to rock that boat particularly so i'm guessing from the nature of your question here that you are probably uh having the seller pay your fee to the title company at the closing and then it ends up on the closing statement and that's where the question is coming from so my suggestion to you would be stop doing that i don't know what else to tell you just don't do it anymore a question from dan uh who i believe is from illinois it didn't say so but i believe so he says, do you believe bandit signs are worth the time, effort, and expense of marketing, or would marketing efforts, in your opinion, be more fruitful putting those dollars toward targeted marketing, such as out-of-town owners, frustrated landlords, probate, etc.? You know what, Dan? Uh, bandit signs work, but the time, effort, and hassle involved in getting them out there and keeping them out there is more than I personally want to deal with. Now, the time and effort part, of course, is the driving around with your stepladder and your drill and putting them up on telephone poles and dodging traffic to go put it on the telephone pole on the other side of the street. The hassle part is that uh, neighborhoods hate them. And they call the police and they call you and say it's illegal to hang bandit signs on telephone poles, which is true. And come get yours or I'm going to report you to the FBI. Yeah, I actually had somebody say that once because the FBI is exactly who I would think to call if I saw a bandit sign somewhere. And, you know, to me, it's just not worth the kind of bad vibes that you get and 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 of course there there are there are many cities that will aggressively chase you down and fine you for hanging bandit signs because again they are illegal uh we could have a whole libertarian discussion about whether or not they should be illegal but uh they are so to me direct mail is the much more um productive approach and much less hassle 
So, um, what else? We, that's, okay, that is not a question for real life real estate, although it does say questions. That is a question from an inner circle member. Let's go back to Wes, who says, uh, I know you're becoming familiar with me now because of my over the top questions, but nonetheless, thank you for the support each month and helping people like me. Um, I have a question regarding subject twos and wraps. Can you explain how they are structured in terms of the paperwork process and how to put them together? I am looking at some deals, but am scared to pull the trigger because I have way more risk in a property that has a mortgage with a bank doing a le- versus doing a lease option or even providing owner financing on a clear, free and clear house. How is this done so that I know that my agreement to a homeowner is worthy enough of my opportunity to them not sure what that last sentence means uh wow Wes I sure wish we had a tv show instead of a radio show right now because I would get out my whiteboard and I would start writing down numbers and that's kind of tough to do on the radio um bottom line with the risk quote-unquote in a subject to is that the biggest risk that you present to your, yourself and your seller, who I'm glad to see is the one you're really worried about here, is when you put together a bad deal in the first place. In other words, you have agreed to take over a mortgage you should not take over. In other words, you aren't going to be able to make any positive cash flow on the property or it needs more work than you can handle or there's some there's something about the numbers that make it more highly probable that you will find yourself in a position of having to, to default on what you have promised to do which is to make their mortgage payments going forward until you can pay off the property so that is thing number one is just know thy strategy. You know, don't re- really evaluate the property. Don't, I, I see a lot of people buy property subject to the existing loan based on this like crazy best case scenario. I'm going to, um, I'm going to be able to lease option this and I'm going to be able to get $15,000 down on this $90,000 property. And then I'm going to be able to get $1,100 a month rent, even though market rent is $900 a month. And if all that happens, I'm going to make tons of money. And none of it, none of that turns out to be true. You really have to look at sort of what is the worst case scenario and does this deal still work under the worst case scenario. In terms of the paperwork process, subject twos and wraps are are very different. And with subject twos, you know, they both start with a purchase agreement that says, I agree to pay you this much money under these terms. With subject two, the basic paperwork after that is a deed from the seller to you, a long disclosure to the seller explaining that you're not paying off their mortgage. You haven't promised when you're going to pay off their mortgage. They've got a due on sale clause in their mortgage. And that means that the bank could choose to call the loan due that if the seller declares bankruptcy uh, and, and the bank forecloses on the property, despite the fact that you have kept the payments up to date, which can happen uh, that you will cease to make the payments because how can you make their credit any worse at that point? Uh, while you negotiate with a bank for a short sale or a loan assumption or something like that. So there's there's a disclosure. Uh, you're going to need a power of attorney from the seller to deal with future um, payoffs and things like that. Uh, it, 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 it's different, though, than a wraparound mortgage where you need to go to an attorney and get a mortgage drawn up 
because that's a new mortgage that you are originating. Yes, wrapped around the old mortgage, but it is a new mortgage that you are originating. And that requires uh, paperwork that's going to ultimately be filed at the courthouse and that you should really have an attorney uh, involved in that. Uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're down to the final couple of minutes here of question and answer week. And I'm seeing uh, Mike's telling me four minutes and, or three minutes. And I'm trying to find a question that I can answer in three minutes. And it's taking me a minute to find the question that I can answer in three minutes. Okay, here here is a quickie. This one is from Tim in St. Louis. He says, Vino, what do you think of wholesale JV deals? And um, what he's referring to, for those of you who have not heard that term before, is joint venture deals where you have a, a typical wholesaler involved where he's got a property under contract and he's got an actual written agreement with the seller and so on. And then you have a different person involved in the deal who is quote, bringing the buyer to the deal. And I am not an attorney. I do not like those deals, though. And the reason is that they cross that line that we're always trying to to make the argument for that says, I am allowed to take money to assign a contract that I have, because what I am doing is I am, I have these rights and I'm assigning these rights and I have the legal right to accept money for the assignment of those rights. What about the other guy though? What about the other guy in the whole, in the wholesale JV deal? What is he accepting money for? He's accepting money for marketing someone else's rights and quote, bringing a buyer to the table. I don't understand what his legal position in that deal is. I don't understand how he is not acting as a real estate agent, probably without a license. The other thing I don't like about wholesale JV deals is that for practical purposes, you don't need to JV your wholesale deals in the market right now. If you if you have a deal that's not selling, your problem is not that you need a JV person. Your problem is that you don't have a good deal because there are so many people out in the market right now looking for good deals that if you have marketed it and everyone has said no it's probably is probably not that you haven't brought somebody else to the a different wholesaler to the table the problem is probably that you don't have a good deal and you need to reevaluate that so appreciate your question tim appreciate all the questions here on real life real estate investing on question and answer week we'll be back again next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Mm-hmm.